The first of my posts was a focused summary of Part 3, Chapters 3 and 4. As Raskolnikov's mother and sister enter his flat, they are greeted by Zosimov, who declares that Raskolnikov is quite well. Raskolnikov is dressed, washed, and combed, as he had not been for some time. Raskolnikov is comparatively well, but he still has the pale and somber appearance of a wounded man, and he still speaks little and reluctantly. At the arrival of his mother and sister, his face lights up, but that only gives him an appearance of suffering rather than listlessness. Zosimov observes that in the conversation that follows, every word seems to irritate Raskolnikov, but he is able to control himself from falling in a frenzy. Raskolnikov greets his mother and Razumihin with his own reassurance that he is almost well, and Zosimov adds that if his progress continues, in a few days he will be just as he was before. He teasingly asks Raskolnikov if perhaps it is his fault that this illness came upon him, and Raskolnikov answers coldly that that is very possible. Zosimov adds that his recovery certainly depends upon him, and that he must avoid whatever provoked this morbid condition. He suggests that Raskolnikov should return to the university, and Raskolnikov agrees mockingly that that will surely solve everything. Raskolnikov learns that Zosimov had been to visit his mother and sister the night before, to update them on his condition. He expresses his confusion and irritation at this special attention, but Zosimov says to think of himself like a doctor's first patient. Raskolnikov expresses similar confusion over the loyalty of Razumihin, who interprets him as being sentimental. But Dunya can see it is quite the opposite. He does have a moment of real, unfeigned feeling as he realizes how much he must have distressed his mother and Dunya. His mother lights up with gratitude, thinking him so generous, and Razumihin comments that it is these moments that make him love Raskolnikov. She confesses to Rodia how unhappy they were indeed. Raskolnikov struggles to recall something else he meant to say, and then tells them that he hopes they understand he had meant to come to them, and was not just waiting for them to come to him. Dunya has the distinct impression that he is not speaking from his heart, but performing a rite. He says that he first had to wash out the blood, and when his mother expresses alarm, explains that it was the blood of the clerk who had been run over. He says that though he recalls all the details of the previous evening, he cannot explain his actions, and Zosimov calls this typical of men under the spell of a morbid impression. Raskolnikov thinks to himself that perhaps it's a good thing Zosimov thinks him a madman. Raskolnikov tells his mother that he did an unpardonable thing in giving all his money to the clerk's wife for the funeral. He says that to help others, you must have the right to do so, and then asks Dunya, isn't that right? But she denies it. He begs his mother's forgiveness, and she says she is sure that all he does is good. He answers with a twisted smile that she shouldn't be so sure. 
he notices that both his mother and sister seem afraid of him. Pohiria Alexandrovna then informs him that Marfa Petrovna is dead, and that it seems she was killed by a beating she received from her husband. Dunya adds that after seven years of marriage, he lost patience, and Raskolnikov accuses her of defending Svidrigailov. She denies it, saying she can imagine no one more awful than him. Raskolnikov then criticizes his mother irritably for gossiping. He asks why they both seem afraid of him, and Dunya admits that his mother was in terror as they came up the stairs. Pohiria Alexandrovna chides her for saying so, assuring him she is happy now. Raskolnikov suddenly becomes chillingly aware that he will never again be able to speak freely to anyone, and the thought fills him with anguish. He urges them to talk about anything. Zosimov says it is time for him to be off, and as he goes out, Pohiria Alexandrovna calls him an excellent man. Raskolnikov agrees, and then says, so is Razumihin, adding with a laugh, do you like him, Dunya? She answers sincerely, very much, and Razumihin calls him a pig. Razumihin gets up to leave, but Raskolnikov tells him to stay, asking what time it is, and commenting on Dunya's pretty watch. Razumihin is delighted to learn it was a gift from Marfa Petrovna, and not from her fiancé. Raskolnikov begins strangely reminiscing about his own engagement, recalling his fiancé as an ugly girl he would have liked even better had she been a hunchback. He calls it a spring delirium, but Dunya insists it was not only that. His mother asks if he loves her even now, but he says all that seems like another world. Even the present seems very far away. Pohiria Alexandrovna changes the conversation to Raskolnikov's wretched lodging, saying it must be the cause of his melancholy, and with a strange laugh he agrees. He then escapes the discomfort of the conversation by asserting again, as he did the day before, that he will not approve Dunya's marriage. She must choose between him and Luzhin. Dunya denies his accusation of the day before that she is marrying Luzhin for his sake, saying she is doing it for her own, but Raskolnikov believes she is lying. She insists she is not lying, and adds that even if he were right, he is wrong for speaking to her so mercilessly. After all, it isn't like she's committing a murder. At these words, she sees him look at her strangely and turn pale. They show Raskolnikov Luzhin's letter, and they are perplexed when his response is to criticize it for being uneducated and written in business language. He asks whether they can forgive Luzhin for the veiled threat to abandon them if they are disobedient and Dunya dismisses that as him being naive and inexperienced with writing. He criticizes Luzhin's slanderous comments about Raskolnikov giving money on the pretext of the funeral, and his description of Sonia as a young woman of notorious behavior. Raskolnikov says the letter betrays Luzhin's character, and suggests that he has no great esteem for Dunya. 
They ask what Raskolnikov intends to do, and he says it is for Dunya to decide. She tells him she wishes him to be there when Luzhin comes, and he agrees. They invite Razumihin to join them as well. Pulcheria Alexandrovna is relieved, since she does not like concealment and deception, and she is glad they will have the whole truth. At that moment, the door opens and in walks a young girl, whom Raskolnikov does not immediately recognize as Sonia. She is no longer in the garish costume of the night before, but now looks like a modestly and poorly dressed young girl. Finding the room full of people, she is overwhelmed with shyness. Raskolnikov had only just been protesting Luzhin's calumny against her as she walked in, and seeing what a humiliated creature she is, he feels sorry for her. He invites her to please sit down, at first offering her a spot on the couch, and then, realizing that is too familiar, motioning her to Razumihin's chair. Sonia looks at his mother and sister as if it is inconceivable she could sit down next to them. She stumbles over an explanation of her visit, saying Katerina Ivanovna wished her to invite Raskolnikov to the funeral service. Raskolnikov introduces her to his mother as the woman whose father was run over before his eyes. She and Dunya both scrutinize the girl, who looks down in embarrassment. Raskolnikov, too, examines her face, noticing her thin, pale features, her sharp nose and chin, her clear blue eyes, and the simple kindliness of her expression. She could not be called pretty, but she is attractive nonetheless. Raskolnikov questions Sonia about why she is looking strangely at his room. She says, with lips trembling, that he gave them everything yesterday, while she looks at the poverty of his surroundings. Hearing this, Dunya and Raskolnikov's mother look kindly upon her. Pulcheria Alexandrovna and Dunya get up to go, saying they will see him at dinner. He says he will come, but that he must attend to something first. Dunya asks Razumihin also to please do them the favor of dining with them, and he bows to her, radiant. On their way out, they curtsy to Sonia, who seems oppressed by the courteous attention. Raskolnikov giddily makes his goodbyes to Dunya again, forgetting he already had, and then turns to Sonia brightly, commenting, quote, God give peace to the dead, the living still have to live, unquote. Looking in her face, he recalls all the details of Marmoladov's story. Pulcheria Alexandrovna is glad to have escaped, and she vents her worries that Raskolnikov is some sort of egoist, that Luzhin will break things off with Dunya, and that Sonia strikes her with a frightening presentiment. Dunya calls it all nonsense, and snaps that Luzhin is a contemptible slanderer. When they are gone, Raskolnikov takes Razumihin aside to say he wishes to meet Porfiry Petrovich. He says that he had pledges with the murdered old woman, and that he would like to learn from Porfiry how he might get them back. Razumihin says that Porfiry will be delighted to meet him, and he expresses relief at the knowledge that Raskolnikov knew the old pawnbroker, 
seeming to think it offers an innocuous explanation of his obsession with the case. They set out to go, and Raskolnikov tells Sonia he will come to see her later, asking for her address. She gives it to him, flushing as she does. She hurries out, glad to escape at last, and feeling a new emotion, as if a whole new world is opening up before her. She recalls that Raskolnikov will be coming to see her, and her heart sinks at the thought that he will find her there, in that room. She did not notice that an unknown, fashionably dressed gentleman of fifty, who, passing by, heard her say the name Raskolnikov, was watching her. He thinks he has seen her face before, and he resolves to follow her home. When she turns in at her gate, he follows her, surprised. He mounts the stairs behind her, and then, when she notices him, comments that they are neighbors. She does not reply, but slips into her room feeling ashamed and uneasy. On the way to Porfiry's, Razumihin comments about how it all now makes sense. In his delirium, Raskolnikov raved about rings and chains because he had pledges with the murdered old woman. Raskolnikov is mockingly scornful of the hold their suspicions must have had over everyone, and of how ready Razumihin is to give his own suspicions up. Razumihin talks about Porfiry, calling him an intelligent, cynical, skeptical, and well-mannered man who likes to make fun of people, and who is anxious to make Raskolnikov's acquaintance. When Raskolnikov asks why, he then dances around the explanation he let slip when he was drunk, that he views Raskolnikov as a suspect. Razumihin is evidently ecstatic to be able to dismiss these suspicions, and Raskolnikov looks upon him with repulsion. He thinks to himself that he must find out immediately whether Porfiry knows he had gone to the old woman's flat and asked about the blood. As they arrive at Porfiry's house, Raskolnikov begins making fun of Razumihin for his crush on Dunya, teasing him for blushing in her presence and calling him a Romeo. It is all calculated. He wants to be laughing and playfully arguing with Razumihin as they come in. That is what they are doing when they enter Porfiry's flat. The next of my posts was called, You Gave Us Everything. Observing the interaction between Sonia and Raskolnikov, I experienced a horror similar to that of watching the moments leading up to the murder. As the meaning of their mannerisms became clear, my internal reaction was, No, dear God, not that. Given what we have known of Sonia, I have been disposed to thinking of her as a saint. She is a prostitute, yes, but she is a prostitute because it was the only recourse available to her to save her family from starvation. She is bitterly ashamed of it, and she bears her shame silently and alone. I'm still haunted by the memory of her shaking sobs from beneath the blanket, and of Katerina Ivanovna kneeling down to kiss her feet. When she came into Raskolnikov's flat, I initially interpreted her awkwardness to be a consequence of her shame at burdening the genteel ladies with her presence. In part, it was, but over time it became clear 
that another emotion was overwhelming her. She stumbles over her words, and her voice trembles with emotions as she tells Raskolnikov that but for him they would have nothing for her father's funeral. She cannot contain a whispered expression of astonished gratitude as she realizes that Raskolnikov lives in terrible poverty and that he gave them everything. Dunya and Pulcheria Alexandrovna observe her grateful affection and look upon her with kindliness. As she is about to depart, and Raskolnikov asks for her address, she flushes. And as she walks away, she is overcome by a feeling she has never before experienced. She wants to meditate on every word that was said between them, and she feels as if a whole new world was opening before her. Her desperate fear at the prospect of his visit tells us just how much the visit means. Perhaps I am slow on the uptake, but it was not until she left that I realized she was falling in love with Raskolnikov, and the realization sent a shudder down my spine. That realization helped to bring Raskolnikov's own response to Sonia into sharper relief. He, too, is drawn to her in some important way, whether or not we can call it love. When she enters the room timidly, and then, finding a room full of people curious to examine her, appears humiliated. Raskolnikov is said to feel suddenly sorry for her, and to feel a real pang in his heart. His sensitivity to the familiarity of first offering her a place on the couch suggests the idea of romance is not completely absent from his mind. He observes her carefully, noticing the subtle features of her face, thinking her perhaps not pretty, but given the warmth of her expression, unquestionably attractive. When his mother and sister make their way out, he seems stirred up. He says goodbye to Dunya a second time, having forgotten the first. He turns back to Sonia with a bright expression to wish peace to the dead and to declare that the living have to live. It seems that this sentiment has somehow been inspired in him by her presence. As they say their goodbyes, he is nervous and avoids her eyes. This is not the anguished nervousness we are familiar with, but something different. He wants to look in her soft, clear eyes, but he finds it difficult. Though I witness their budding affection in a horrified protectiveness of Sonia, I have accepted that it exists. And now I'm just desperately curious to see where it will lead. The next of my posts was called All Clear and Perfectly Right. In recent chapters, I've been noticing Raskolnikov's complete contempt for the naivete and gullibility of those around him. They are so oblivious to his dark secret, so ready to make excuses for him, and so easily manipulated and led. Their desire to see him as good inspires in him not guilt, not gratitude, but repulsion. When Zosimov comments on his rapid improvement, suggests that if he goes on like this he will make a full recovery, and says teasingly that perhaps it is Raskolnikov's own fault that he has suffered the condition, Raskolnikov answers coldly that it is very possible, seeming to mock Zosimov with his own knowledge that this is categorically true. 
when Zosimov lectures Raskolnikov about the importance of avoiding the fundamental causes tending to produce his morbid condition, which we know, but he doesn't, means that he ought to refrain from further murdering of people. And when he suggests that because the first stage coincided with his leaving the university, perhaps he ought to return, Raskolnikov responds with bitter sarcasm that he is perfectly right, and that if he were to do that, everything would go smoothly. Zosimov's sage advice is offered primarily for the benefit of the ladies, but he is surprised when he sees on Raskolnikov's face an expression of unmistakable mockery. When Raskolnikov's mother, looking around at his living conditions, says that it is a wretched lodging, like a tomb, and that it must be half responsible for his melancholy, he responds with a sinister laugh that, yes, the lodging had a great deal to do with it. There is a suggestion that perhaps he means it in some way, but he does not mean it in the same way she does, and he says to her, quote, If only you knew, though, what a strange thing you said just now, mother, unquote. When his mother comments blithely how sure she is that everything Raskolnikov does is good, he looks at her with that twisted smile and tells her not to be so sure. When Razumihin learns that Raskolnikov had pledges with the old pawnbroker, he's quick to seize on this as an explanation for Raskolnikov's compulsive talk in his delirium about rings and chains. He is so ready to find an excuse that he calls it all clear now. Raskolnikov thinks mockingly that Razumihin would go to the stake for him, and that he is delighted at having it cleared up why he spoke of rings. He knows how far from clear the situation is in Razumihin's mind. Everyone around Raskolnikov seems comparatively naive, gullible, simple-minded, and easy to manipulate. It leaves me wondering whether that will always be true, or whether he will ever meet his match. The last of my posts was called Favorites. I can't move on without sharing a few favorite moments in these chapters. The first was Dostoevsky's insightful account of one of the ways in which your soul is oppressed when you live a lie. When Polhiria Alexandrovna explains how on the train she had dreamed of their meeting again and how they should talk over everything together, he tells her to hush and says, we shall have time to speak freely of everything. But in that moment, he becomes acutely and painfully aware that he can never speak freely again. He realizes that the things that are always foremost in his mind are the things he can never share with anyone. Quote, Again, that awful sensation he had known of late passed with deadly chill over his soul. Again, it became suddenly plain and perceptible to him that he had just told a fearful lie, that he would never now be able to speak freely of everything, that he would never again be able to speak of anything to anyone. The anguish of this thought was such that for a moment he almost forgot himself. He got up from his seat and, not looking at anyone, walked towards the door." Unquote. Because he can never again speak and act freely and naturally, 
Everything he does and says must instead be carefully and deliberately calculated. We see that necessity take on dramatic form as Raskolnikov approaches Porfiry's apartment. I gather that he wants to seem at ease in Porfiry's presence, and so he picks a playful fight with Razumihin in order that they might be laughing and ribbing each other as they come in. I have to believe this was inspired by Razumihin's earlier speech about the unquestionable innocence of Nikolai, who was laughing and tumbling about with Dmitri directly after the murder had taken place. Consciously or not, Raskolnikov must be trying to use this psychological theory to demonstrate his own innocence. Your next reading is just one chapter, because I think it is one of the best, most densely packed, and most thrilling chapters I have ever read in any novel. I look forward to discussing it next week.